There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, it's a new week and I'm telling you that there are so many stories that I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. Because some of them are so distressing to me. I mean, first and foremost, it's not the kind of story that I usually spend a lot of time on, but I've been looking at what's going on in Hawaii, in Maui. And this is absolutely like the worst disaster in a long time. There's like over 90 people dead. And we haven't seen wildfires kill that many Americans in over a hundred years. And really all I'm reading about and, you know, watching online is that they predict there'll be more. They're going to find more dead people as they continue with the search and rescue efforts. And the governor, Josh Green, said that uh, only 3% of the affected area has been searched. 3%? That means 97% of the devastated area, if you looked at these pictures, it's mind-boggling, hasn't been searched. They're actually bringing in 12 more cadaver dogs. How would you like to have a family there and hear this? You can't even go back. They won't let residents return. So if your mother was there or your kid was there, you're just waiting. This has to be one of the biggest natural disasters that... I remember in my lifetime. Back in 1918, I think they lost uh, almost 500 people in Minnesota and Wisconsin. But that was a long time ago. You would think that we had better systems of alerting people, right? And that's what you're hearing. Hawaii lawmakers are really, really having to answer some questions about alarm systems alerting people in Lahaina. I mean, those sirens didn't go off. The warning signals that were on cell phones, they had no cell coverage. They had no electricity in some of those areas. So I don't know about the rest of you, but I have those warning things that come on my cell phone. And sometimes if you're in a public place, all of a sudden everybody's phone goes off and it's an amber alert or it's whatever. I used to turn it off and then I thought, no, you really shouldn't turn it off. What if there's like a typhoon heading my way? Who knows? So U.S. Senator Maisie Hirono, who's one of my least favorite senators in the world, said, hey, we can talk about what went wrong, but first we have to rescue and even, you know, locate bodies. And we're going to need a lot of support. I don't even understand how they're going to do this because one of the articles that I was reading said that it's one thing to identify people 
who drown in a flood or a hurricane. It's one thing to identify people who get buried under a landslide. You know, we've seen that kind of stuff before. But how do you identify people who were caught in a inferno? I mean, the blazes melted metal. This was once the capital of the Hawaiian kingdom. They have no power. They're just now restoring power. They threw, you know, somebody sent in two Wi-Fi trucks. I'll bet it was Elon Musk. They're not giving him any credit yet. And, you know, hopefully they're beginning some sort of long-term recovery efforts, including just finding a place for these people to live who've been displaced. They don't even know what started this blaze. They do know that there were like these intense winds, like hurricane force winds. But what they don't know is why the warning systems didn't work. And like uh, Hazy Morono, who I don't like, said, now is not the time for us to point the fingers and cast uh, doubt on the system, but it is going to be the time, ultimately. The questions are going to have to be asked. And we're going to have to ask it because it's going to affect everyone in the country. When you look at those pictures, I don't know how many of you have watched. See, I'm not a disaster person. Like my husband can watch like disaster movies and apocalypse movies. I can't. I just, they just upset me too much. But I always try to watch things that are meaningful so that I understand what exactly happened. It's ridiculous to be a radio talk show personality and not immerse yourself in certain things. I'll never forget the hardest thing I ever had to do was watch the beheading of Daniel Pearl. I didn't want to do it. I resisted doing it. I didn't do it right away. But I have to tell you, eventually, I knew that I couldn't talk about this unless I saw for myself just how brutal it was. And I must admit, I didn't watch the entire thing, but I saw enough. And there's some things you just have to see. I felt like I had to look at this and I saw a bunch of film online of survivors talking, just of before and after images, beautiful place. And now it's just a wasteland. I mean, it really looks apocalyptic. There's no question about it. So I have to be, you know, alert and aware. And uh, that's my job. But this one was tough. You know, I, I just I had a hard time looking at these stories and seeing the absolute ferocity with which this fire came through. I mean, there's no question that people might not have had enough time to get out even if they got the alert. Now the families are, acts, you know, literally being asked to provide DNA so that they can ID the remains of their you know, close relatives? What happens now? Oh, and by the way, a good story. Well, I don't know if it's good. I gave Oprah Winfrey credit for getting out there quickly and helping. But apparently, she wanted the whole thing filmed. And she was at a particular shelter. And the administrators at the shelter said, no, you're not going to film this. You need to respect the survivors who are here and not blast this on social media to make yourself look good. 
So they didn't let her into a Lahana shelter for wildfire refugees out of respect. And, you know, I don't believe that Oprah was doing it just to glorify Oprah. She doesn't need to be glorified. She's at the top of the food chain anyway. And she was filmed inside a shelter handing out supplies to survivors. And, um, but they, they just felt it was enough. Bringing in camera crews and reporters in emergency shelters didn't make any sense. There are other celebrities that live there or have homes there. One of them is Jason Momoa, who said, please don't come here to this devastated area. Let us heal and grieve and restore. He was actually born in Oahu. So he's got a lot of, uh, you know, this is Aquaman, the native Hawaiian who, who is really just a lot of fun to look at. That's all I'm going to say. And he's got an organization. I think it's, um, I, I don't remember what it's called, but it, it's like an uh, environmental and health and safety kind of organization. And I get it. I do. I, I understand why he wants people to not come there for a while. You know, there's other places to vacation. If you had a trip planned to Maui, cancel the trip. This is going to be too devastating. They're going to have too much rebuilding to do. And the last thing they need is gawkers. Uh, Winfrey and, and Momoa are among, you know, at least a dozen celebrities who have big properties on the island. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I know the Obamas have some property. I don't think it's on that particular island. But Native Hawaiians are going to have to rebuild. Jeff Bezos has a property. I think it's um, like a 14-acre estate, and it's about 20 miles south of the fires. His uh, partner slash fiance, whatever she is, Lauren Sanchez, did post on Threads, a new messaging app that's linked to Instagram, that the wildfires were beyond heartbreaking. She wrote that Jeff and I have been on the phone with residents and officials and will be making donations to help. Mick Fleetwood, the drummer for the band Fleetwood Mac, he has a restaurant in Maui that was completely burned down. So it's devastating. You know, it's going to be some people that are going to have to step up and help. It's so sad. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just overwhelmed because I think of all the history that may have been lost in that fire. I think of all the people whose lives will be forever changed. And I think about while some of us are worrying about indictments and congressional hearings and all that, which is very important, elections, all that stuff is super important. For a moment, just take a step backwards and think, what would it be like to lose everything and have your community devastated like these people in Lahaina and Maui have to deal with? And then you think to yourself, you know what? We don't have it that bad. You know, we'll talk about this stuff. We'll straighten it out. I get it. It's frustrating. And I can rage on and on and on about it. But the fact that I am part of an industry that really stopped being the fourth estate and instead has become like cheerleaders for the worst of the worst, that makes me very sad. So I'm going to try, and this is a, an effort, 
I don't know that I'll be successful at it, but I'm going to try to perhaps rail less and come up with solutions more. Not that I have all the answers. I don't know that I have any answers, but if I'm going to be a part of the media and the media is going to be so irresponsible as it's been lately, I'm going to spend a little more time making sure that we get the facts right. There are a lot of reasons that people are confused right now and have thrown their hands up and will not read the newspapers, won't watch the television news, won't read anything on the internet. They've just shut down. All they want to do is be entertained. And it reminds me of how I remember my father told me that during World War II, all of the motion picture companies were making like movies about uh, dancing girls and, and they did make war films as well, but they, they made a lot of movies that were strictly to take people's minds off the fact that their husbands and sons and fathers were fighting a war that nobody had any idea how it was going to end. A world war. My father was over in the Pacific theater. People's parents were over in the European theater. People stormed the beaches at Normandy. So it was all-consuming of their thinking. I think even more consuming than will Donald Trump be indicted in Georgia? The answer to that question is yes. Anyway, the media has nobody to blame but themselves for how they're unbelievable. They are. They're, nobody believes them because they don't tell a fair story. They don't tell both sides of the story. I try. Look, I'm, I don't want my audience to wake up one day and say, but I didn't know what was happening. Nobody told me what was happening. I'm going to tell you, and then you make a decision. If you want to take a leave of absence and not pay attention, go ahead. You know, I'm going to hold down the fort. And when you're ready to find out what happened, I'm going to tell you, because otherwise you're going to get nothing but pro propaganda, right? Nothing but the same old lies that we've been used to. Anyway, let me take a quick break. You know that uh, you can download our app, the 850 WFTL app. I put a new No Restraint podcast. It'll be going up shortly. Um, it really covers a couple of different subjects, but I think it's well worth a listen. I'm proud that uh, we've had more downloads of that podcast in this month, in the month of July, rather, than we had in a long, long time. And you know my goal is to do better and better and better and to take it up a notch every single time. So uh, go and get the app, 850WFTL, or go to our website, 850WFTL.com, and listen to all of our podcasts. And of course, participate in the contests and get all the fast-breaking news, including storm warnings. Looks like a hurricane might be coming. All right, for now, stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh, my goodness. You, you know, you listen to some of these uh, federal prosecutors and what they think is going to fly, and it really is depressing. And it's why we cover it as much as we do, because it's the kind of news that you're not going to get from the mainstream. Well, you'll get it from the mainstream, but it'll be all slanted and crazy, right? 
a judge in Georgia has now ruled that they're going to let cameras into the courtroom uh, if, I don't know why they're saying if, it's when President Trump is indicted, which means, can you imagine what that's going to be like? It won't be the first time in court for Donald Trump on a bunch of what I believe are ginned up charges, but it will be the first time it'll play out on live TV because the purpose is not actually, you know, I listen to a lot of pundits and a lot of people I have a lot of respect for. I saw Alan Dershowitz and Mark Levin last night and I have great respect for both of them. And when they keep saying like, oh, they're trying to give him 600 years in jail, they're trying to put him in jail. I don't think that's what they're trying to do necessarily. I think that they are literally just trying to make sure he never becomes the president and they'll do whatever it takes. They are completely without any boundaries. And Georgia law does require that cameras be allowed into a courtroom for the sake of transparency if the judge approves it. And the judge would have to have a very compelling reason not to approve it. And it's since 2018 when they needed some transparency. And open courtrooms are part of, uh, you know, the new respected judicial system. There's nothing uh, outrageous about that, although, of course, today, every conservative pundit is like, oh, my God, they're going to allow court. This will be the fourth indictment. This will be a media frenzy. Yes, and that's exactly what they want. And I get it because, trust me, and this is difficult for me to say, but it needs to be said. If the day comes when Hunter Biden is on trial, I want some cameras in that courtroom. How about that? You know, there won't be, but I would want that because we don't know the whole story on any of this. But what we do know is that they hate Donald Trump with every fiber of their being. And as try as I can, I don't understand why it's become so all-consuming. I know that some people are mad at Trump, particularly Republicans. They think he might interfere. You know, what they're really saying is they think he might lose the election because it's pretty certain he's going to get the nomination. He's double digits ahead of everybody. Vivek Ramaswamy just overtook Ron DeSantis. Now, I know there's a debate coming up, and my take on all this is... The best two debaters that are going to be on that stage are actually Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. I've seen both of them in debates. They're not Trump, but they are very good debaters, and they're able to stay on task, and they're also able to shoot a few barbs at the competitors. Uh, Tim Scott, not so much. Nice guy. Knows his stuff, but not going to be shining in that debate. Chris Christie, if he gets in it, is going to blow bombs every five seconds and you get tired of him real quick. But the fact is that nothing they've done so far has damaged Donald Trump's lead. Nothing. As a matter of fact, it it's just keeps growing. They t tell the story, I saw it online, that Governor DeSantis was in Iowa and he was flipping pork chops or something, you know, whatever it is that these politicians do when they go to the state fair. 
And he had a little crowd around him and people are cheering and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, overhead goes Trump Force One, this pretty impressive looking jet flying overhead. And the people who were there to hear Governor Ron DeSantis speak suddenly start cheering for the airplane. That's not a good sign. <laughs> you know, that's got to demoralize Governor DeSantis and everybody else in the field. My sense of it is, with the exception of Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, and by Mike Pence, who's becoming irrelevant by the day, but with those exceptions, Vivek Ramaswamy is angling for the VP. Tim Scott is angling for the VP slot. And you know Ramaswamy is because yesterday he basically said he would want Donald Trump to be his mentor. Well, he's not going to mentor you if you get the nomination, but if you come on board as the VP, maybe attract a millennial vote and maybe even attract a, a moderate or independent vote because let's face it, Ramaswamy is not a conservative Republican. Never was, never will be. Well, maybe he will be, but he's not now. But then again, not, neither was Donald Trump once upon a time. So I see a lot of potential, and I see him angling for that, and now he's in second place, which is mind-boggling. When you think about it, it came out of nowhere. But don't tell me that Tucker Carlson and that show wasn't tremendously influential in the way people think. So there you have it. That's my take on this nonsense about the Georgia case. And uh, Georgia is, what are they? I saw a, a, an interesting column that said, Georgia is bracing, bracing, they're bracing for a, a monster trial. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We were all bracing for the uh, monster plea bargain that ended up not happening. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Nobody does. But it's going to be definitely stuff to be watching. Georgia also mandates that indictments be made public immediately. So if they charge him this week or next week, which is what all the people are saying is going to happen, we will know what the indictments are. And a lot of people are very nervous. I got a lot of emails, to, well, not a lot, three emails from people who said, this is the one, this is the one we have to be afraid of. This is, it's not the uh, garbage uh, indictments that the others were. This is the big one. You know, I don't believe that. If every time I was told that it was the end of Donald Trump, I had gotten five bucks, I would now have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars sitting here on my studio desk because that's how many times I've heard it. So we'll see. Still all remains to be seen. What's really more disgusting is watching how Hunter Biden is basically being given a pass by the media, even though they know darn well that this guy is up to his eyeballs in corruption. And there's only one reason that anybody would have involved themselves with Hunter Biden. And it, it's named President Joe Biden. You had an FBI agent confirm under oath that the Biden team was tipped off about the FBI's effort to interview Hunter and that 
He was upset and other agents were frustrated by the interference. That's right. They just released that transcript, an FBI supervisory special agent's transcript. And during the interview, he corroborated key details in everything that the IRS whistleblower's testimony said. So you can, you can get by, but you can't get away. Let me take a break. We'll be right back. Stay where you are. So there was a story that basically broke after I got off the air, which is in the evening on Friday. And there's a three or two, two hour time difference between where the story happened. There might only be one hour. I'm not sure. I don't know about Kansas uh, time zones, but you know, there was a newspaper and I mentioned it because it was going on while I was on the air and I just made like a passing reference to it. But a, a local Kansas newspaper got raided by the Marion Police Department. They raided the office and the home of the two owners, co-owners. And one of them, now first and foremost, one of the co-owners, this Joan Meyer, was in very good health for her age. But her age was 98, okay? And she collapsed on Saturday afternoon and died at her home. She had not been able to eat after the police showed up at the door of her home Friday with a search warrant in hand. She wasn't able to sleep Friday night. And the raids were actually led by the Marion police chief, uh, Cody, and they were tied to a dispute between the record, which is the name of the newspaper, and Carrie Newell, who is a local restaurant owner. That's at least what ABC News was saying. Newell was accusing the newspaper of invading her privacy and illegally accessing information about her and her driving record and suggested that the newspaper targeted her after she threw Meyer and a reporter out of her restaurant during a political event. Now, Eric Meyer, who's the son of the co-owner, and, and I think he is the co-owner and the editor and the publisher, along with his mother, said that's not true. And he said, the paper covers local politics and a story the paper was working on involving Cody's previous work with Kansas City, Missouri police. This is the type of stuff, you know, that Vladimir Putin does, that third world dictators do, he told ABC News. This is Gestapo tactics from World War II. They love to throw around Gestapo, but uh, I don't know. The, the chief claims the raid was connected to an investigation and that it was perfectly legal. And according to several Freedom of the Press watchdogs, it was definitely a violation by the Marion Police Department of the Constitution's protection for a free press. But here's where we get into trouble. I mean, the legal director for the ACLU of Kansas said that the raids seemed like quite an alarming abuse of authority. They said it was like one of the most aggressive police raids of a news organization in quite some time. The director of advocacy for the Freedom of the Press Foundation condemned the raids. Based on the reporting so far, the police raid of the Marion County record on Friday appears to have violated federal law, the First Amendment, and basic human decency. Everyone involved should be ashamed of themselves. Now, let me tell you why this is a much bigger story than what happened to uh, the Myers, and in particular, 
the fact that, you know, the aging 98-year-old co-owner uh, passed right after the raid, and apparently it was enough to definitely upset her previous uh, ability to be in charge of a newspaper or co-owner of a newspaper. The reason this is a big story is because we're now racking up a lot of examples of American law enforcement officers treating the press in a way that I've only seen them do when there are authoritarian regimes, where there are uh, tyrannical despots. And all we hear from politicians is this extremely, well, loud rhetoric about whether or not the media can be trusted. And it makes a very, very dangerous environment for journalists who are just trying to do their jobs. Now, I don't take that as an excuse to back away from hard stories. I don't think anybody should. Obviously, every career comes with some built-in problems, built-in limitations, built-in dangers. When I started out in talk radio, I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. You know, I'm going to walk in the studio, say what I want. My bosses have given me free reign. I just got to tell the truth and everything's going to be all right. And within the first year, I had uh, Ku Klux Klan members following me home from the station because I dared to support Israel and I dared to expose, at the time, Mel, Mel Gibson's father, who, Woot Gibson, who was a notorious Holocaust denier. And so, you know, I told the story and people got very upset on the very fringe. And so these two sort of ineffective Ku Klux Klan guys, I mean, they really were pathetic. I was not really scared of them, but the station had a responsibility to report it. And we did. We reported it to the Broward County Sheriff, who at the time was Nick Navarro. That's how far back I go, huh? And Nick assigned a deputy to me everywhere I went, somebody to keep an eye on my house when I wasn't there. It was, they took it very seriously. Once I saw these guys, I didn't get scared. They were pathetic. But they were what they were, and they'd made the threats that they made, and precautions were taken. And I had a really nice-looking bodyguard. I'm just saying. I just throw that in because it's true. But there's dangers in the job that I do. I've been in Washington, D.C., and seen protesters come right up to my face. When we brought the shoes up to D.C. in, what was it, 2007 or 2009? My gosh, time flies, right? When we brought the thousand pairs of shoes and dumped them across the street from the White House, George Bush was in the White House at the time. But we didn't care who was in the White House. We were sick and tired of this immigration bill that the uh, Kennedy-McCain bill that was going to open the doors for even more of this illegal immigration, and we were struggling as it was. And we went there, and there were paid protesters on the other side. How do I know they were paid? They told me they were paid. They came with little paper bag lunches and bottles of water and, uh, you know, a check. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of insanity is this? Uh, should I be afraid? 
And I must admit that I am kind of like numb to fear at this point in my life. Had a terrible motorcycle accident that almost killed me. I mean, I'm just not afraid of much. But I'm cautious, you know, and I'm armed. People who walk around unarmed who are in the position I'm in, I think are nuts. Because I don't know whether somebody who approaches me in a public setting is friend or foe. I always tell the story when I'm somewhere and people go, are you? I always try to size them up. Am I Joyce Kaufman or not depends on <laughs> whether the person who's asking looks like a friend or a foe. And with the divided country that we have right now, it's pretty easy to see who the friend is and who the foe is. You just have to look at their t-shirts and hats at this point. And also their attitude. The left is just so angry and so full of venom and always goes for some sort of personal attack. You know, it always begins with something along the lines of, you think you're so, and then I know I'm in, I'm face to face with the enemy. And I don't have to draw on them, but at least I feel as though they're not going to get one up on me. And friends, look, even friends can be extremely dangerous. So you really, if you're in this kind of business, and I think this is true now of anyone in the media, you need to be careful. You need to be discerning about where you go and what you do. People say, oh my gosh, you're so unfriendly. It's not that I'm unfriendly. I'm just cautious. You know, I don't believe that someone's going to storm into my house and try to take my microphone, but you don't know. I don't think this little 98-year-old lady in Kansas ever thought that the Marion County police chief was going to show up at her house, take her computer, take her phone, take her equipment, and basically tell her that she was in big trouble. If they did it to her, then surely they could do it to anyone. So I'm cautious. I'm mindful. You know, there was an article today about how Mitch McConnell is in winter, meaning that this is the end of Mitch McConnell's career. I think it was in Politico. And Mitch McConnell does not like Donald Trump. And when you ask him a question about Donald Trump, he literally uh, tries to avoid answering it. He does not want to engage with the former president. He does not answer when the former president, you know, trashes his wife, who, by the way, the former president put in a cabinet position. So it was kind of weird to have him, when he was talking to the Politico reporter, actually go there, go into the Trump uh, line of questioning. And he has, he made it perfectly clear, if you read this article, that he felt when John McCain died, when Senator McCain died, that it was up to him to fill in the national security vacuum that was left in the Republican Party. First and foremost, what makes him think he could fill that? You got Tom Cotton in there. You've got other members of the military and the you know former military in the Senate 
why would I depend on Mitch McConnell, a lifetime politician, to be the sound thinker about national security? As a matter of fact, I wouldn't. So it's kind of interesting. But Mitch McConnell is in the winter of his career. This is the end of Mitch McConnell's career. I mean, how much longer can he go on? He's now like looking into space when he's at a press conference. But I also know that it's the end of mine as well. I can only keep up this energy for so long. And while I still have it, I'm going to do this. But when the day comes when this is no longer engaging and not worth the time it takes to be knowledgeable about the things I'm going to be talking about, sayonara. You know, it's been great, but it will be over. And I'm going to be, I hopefully, I'm going to be the one who decides when it's over. Not some, you know, program director, not some owner, but hopefully, this is what every host dreams of. I'm going to say, hey, look, I've come to the end. And uh, it's been a blast. You know, this month, in just three days, I will have completed 33 years on the air in South Florida. That's a lifetime. Some of you ain't even that old. So I am leaving nothing to chance, but I'm also not leaving anything on the court. I'm going out the way I came in, full of uh, P and V, as they say, and loving every single minute that I'm on the air. I love my job, and it'll be uh, it'll be a struggle to give it up. But you know, I want to be the one to make that decision. So don't forget, coming up right after me, Eric Erickson, and then of course all of our wonderful nighttime hosts. I mean, we got a heck of a lineup: um, Joe Pags and Lars, the Red Eye guys. It's really quite amazing. And then Jen and Bill will be back in the morning, followed by Brian Kilmeade, and then the one and only Dan Bongino. So why would you even, like, channel surf? Just stay right where you are. i got one segment left. I'll be right back. So I was looking at uh, the results of this indie movie that I was talking about. Everybody's talking about The Sound of Freedom. And I was looking at a an interview that was done with the director, the writer-director Alejandro Monteverde, who started working on this in 2015, long before there was anything called QAnon. And all you hear people talk about is that, oh, uh, the only people who like this movie are the QAnon people, and it was dreamed up by a QAnon person, and that's simply not true. This is a guy who was born in Mexico, lives in L.A., had a studio, and said he was totally unaware back in 2015 that this child sex trafficking was going on. And then all of a sudden, he saw it on a regular network news segment, and it shook him to his soul, because I didn't believe it. I couldn't put the two pieces together, an adult buying a child. So he was sleepless, and he talked about it with his wife, who was the mother of their three children, who happens to be an actress, Allie Landry. And she said, why don't you look into it? And then if it's a real story that we should be talking about, write a screenplay. And at the time, the movie was called The Mogul. And he was just, you know, it was fantasy. It was fiction. But then, Edward, Eduardo Verastuigi met Tim Ballard, who was the actual person that James Caviezel plays in the movie. He was a former special agent for the Department of Homeland Security. And that's when it became a story of what he did from the time he was assigned to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and then to when he decided to just go undercover 
and start his own uh, rescue mission. And so when Jim Caviezel signed on to star as Ballard and you had Mira Sorvino and a couple of other big names rounding out the cast, he said he went ahead with it. The movie has earned $173 million in the U.S. That's a staggering amount of money for a film that costs like nothing. Well, not nothing, but uh, relatively little, $14.5 million to make. Amazing, right? It's not, uh, it's not QAnon. It's true. And you ought to watch them. If you haven't seen the movie, you should see it. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. We'll be heading on the road with the show in just a day or two, but you'll know more about that when I get there. God bless you and God bless the USA. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.